0: It's there you'll find connection and there where you'll find more peace, obedience, respect, and joy. So what are you waiting for? We know those behaviors aren't going to go away on their own. Let's dive in. All right. I just want to welcome Kelsey today. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I am actually not quite sure how I found you on Instagram. But I really do love the reels that you make, especially the ones. So at the end, you'll have to give us your Instagram and all that. But um, the ones that you make with a comparison between highly sensitive kids and non-highly sensitive kids, um, they're just really funny. And sometimes for me, it's interesting because I think both of my kids are highly sensitive. So we don't necessarily have that to actually view, but um, before we jump in, I'd just love for you to introduce yourself, your family, kind of what you do, how you got to be so passionate about highly sensitive people, and just anything that you would want people to know. Of course.
1: So well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so like you said, my name is Kelsey. I am a speech language pathologist in Houston, Texas. I am a wife and a mom of three. So my oldest is, I suspect, highly sensitive, um, or is highly sensitive. I suspect my youngest is highly sensitive, and then my middle child is not. So kind of what you were talking about um, with that comparison, I definitely have kind of that window into both worlds. Um, So I own a home health business for speech therapy with pediatrics in Houston, and like you said, I'm also on Instagram uh, and a little other social media platforms. And I there I kind of show up more with sharing information about our life with um, highly sensitive kids. Also as a parent who is highly sensitive myself, uh, my husband is highly sensitive as well. So kind of that dynamic that um, comes in and just kind of how it impacts our life also um some tidbits about how we use positive parenting with our highly sensitive kids as well.
0: Yeah, and I now that I'm learning more about highly sensitive, like I was mentioning before we started recording, I have discovered that I am a highly sensitive person just kind of through figuring it out with my son, but I also think like things that I've heard about my husband just when he was a younger child and um I don't know, maybe he covers it up a little bit more now, but I kind of think he also could be somewhere on that personality spectrum too. But um, sometimes I get a lot of questions. Like if someone is wondering what exactly highly sensitive means or whether they as the mom or the parent or their child has a highly sensitive personality, like how, how would you describe that to them? Yeah, so high
1: sensitivity... Um... The, the scientific term is um, sensory processing uh, sensitivity. So really what, that, what it is, it's, a, it's inborn, it's innate temperament. Um, so it really just means that they have an increased sensitivity of their central nervous system and deeper cognitive processing, um, not only to like emotional stimulation, but also um, to physical and social as well. So um, highly sensitive children, uh, they react stronger to both external and internal stimulation. So um, like pain, hunger, um, but external as well. So like light, noise. Um, And it's thought that 15 to 20% of the population, not just children, everyone, um, are highly sensitive people. Um, so you also mentioned like, what does that kind of look like? So if I'm talking more like characteristics or things that like a parent might see, um, highly sensitive kids are often described as being shy or inhibited, cautious. Um, sometimes they're fearful or even, you know, you might notice fussiness or, or hyper oversensitivity, Um, But also, we see a lot of creativity, and they're very intuitive, um, very empathetic, and often wise, meaning like their humor is can be on a different level than their age typical peers, or uh, even their vocabulary. um, They might shock you with, you know, some of the vocabulary they use or their memory skills, too.
0: Yeah. And I would just love if you want to touch a little bit on just maybe the spectrum, because as you're talking about some of those things, you know, even just thinking about my own kids, like my oldest, he is really triggered by food, like if he hasn't eaten but it's almost like he's hyposensitive to it versus being hypersensitive like he won't tell me i'm hungry but then he'll have a huge meltdown and then at the end as i've you know done those strategies and listened and that sort of thing he'll be like i'm hungry i'm hungry and i'm like you know i should have known but it just seems like at five you know kids might say that but i've seen that as a huge trigger for him But then you know this might be getting into too big of a question but just maybe curious with your kids how you see it too like um so last night for example we were at awana at church and i had no idea that they were gonna go up on stage because it was the last night and they sang their song and there's this they're in just like this little class and normally that would be something that i would prepare him for and Sometimes like he at home, he doesn't even want us to be looking at him when he's playing the drums and singing his song. But afterwards, I asked him if he liked it, because on stage he was participating, but looked like kind of uncomfortable. And he was like, I loved it. And so it just got me thinking like all these connection, positive parenting strategies you know, they must have a pretty big impact on helping them to kind of manage and be a little bit more flexible in these kinds of situations. So maybe if you just, you know, want to speak to that a little bit or or even like the spectrum of what you see in terms of the highly sensitive personality. Um, because like my oldest, he he is very wise or has a really big vocabulary, like right now he's playing in the sand and wants to make glass out of it. But then my youngest Obviously he's younger, but I can already see such a wide gap in kind of where they're at, even though they both are kind of on that spectrum. Like he is way more, he's never one to like, Oh, I want to sit down and play with this. And my oldest was doing, you know, six-year-old Lego sets at his age.
1: Yeah. So, um, Dr. Elaine Aaron is, um, like a pioneer in this temperament, um, of high sensitivity. And one thing that she talks about in terms of particularly if you're self-diagnosing like yourself or your children, um, you know, people will say, well, my, my kid doesn't really do all of that. Or like, I don't notice that in my kid, but I noticed this. And the one thing that she speaks to is, um, they could have only one of these traits, but if that one trait is so significant. <laughs> like it's just so obvious they can still be considered highly sensitive. Um, so when parents are like asking me, how do I learn more? What do I do? I always guide them to her books first. She's got lots of books um, about high sensitivity. So when parents ask me about their kids and how they can better understand if their kids are highly sensitive, I often guide them first to um Dr. Elaine Aaron's books um and also on her like you can go on her website which is uh let me make sure i get this right hsperson.com okay um and there's well first and foremost there's a quiz for like a self-diagnosing type quiz that she has on there and then she has all of her books listed too. So there's books on just the highly sensitive person, the highly sensitive child, the highly sensitive parent, even um, there's more. So I think it's always really great to read those to fully understand just because like I said, like the, the child can have just one thing that really stands out and still be considered highly sensitive um, and still benefit from, you know, you know, positive parenting and, and really the parent being attentive to that, to that trait.
0: And I know we didn't really talk about this before, but I was just thinking this morning and curious kind of maybe what your experience is, if you have any, but my oldest tends to be on the very aggressive side when he gets upset. And I, I'm not sure. And I know it doesn't necessarily matter, but, but I know whatever a child has either seen or had happen to them is kind of a way that they respond when they have behaviors and i know at one of his daycares i think that occurred to him sometimes which i didn't know at the time um but also just i know deep hurt or fears or you know even anxieties can cause more of that aggressive behavior um and I guess just kind of curious if you see that more or notice it more in highly sensitive children, or, I mean, I know, again, it's probably on a spectrum, but if there's any specific like strategies or tips or anything that you have found that might be helpful.
1: Yeah. So I think emotional, like overreactivity is definitely a common trait with highly sensitive kids. And of course like, you know, as you know in the therapy world, there's nothing that's ever like an always, right? Like every yeah. kid's different. Like we it's the words we always have to say, right? Every kid's different, every treatment plan's different, every um but yeah, there is like a very common emotional overreaction and that can be anger, it's not always anger. Um but it can be. And I think there's definitely things that every parent can do that could help their kiddos with that. Um, Again, like every child is different, but things that are common that really help for us particularly is creating routine and structure and being as consistent as possible. And it is so hard. Like I, I get that, that that's really hard because I'm a working mom. I've got three kids. Like they're all different. I get that. It's so hard to stick to be consistent with routine and structure, but it's like these highly sensitive little, they just, they really, really benefit from consistent routine and that structure to their day. Um, and that includes like, you know, getting good sleep at a good time. Like our body produces melatonin at a certain time. And I think, um, we can't underestimate that. Like, I think we need to like fall in line with that natural rhythm, um, that kiddos have. I also think that these so highly sensitive kids, a lot of times they do have that bigger vocabulary and they have, um, the deep cognitive processing. And I think that we can meet them where they're at by building their emotional vocabulary or their feelings vocabulary early. Um, I think there's so many kids that, you know, they just know like happy, sad, and mad. And I mean, there's like infinite number of feelings and words that we can put to those feelings and being able to describe those feelings can really be powerful because, you know, they might say angry, but that or mad, or that's not necessarily their true feeling about a situation. And I think um, helping kids to understand those feelings. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are like, wow, well, how do I do that? And <laughs> there's like, um, a, Amazon. Go to Amazon, and there's tons of feelings and emotions, like flashcards and decks and whatever. There's just so many different like routes you can take with that. Um, but I think it's really important to teach them, you know, about building a vocabulary of not only what like naming their feelings and what they are, but also like a, a repertoire of strategies to use to respond to those feelings. So, and talking about it outside of the feeling, I've, um, I think a lot of times, you know, it's brought to mind or it's easy to, um, be in the moment and be like, okay, you're feeling this, what can we do? But I think that, you know, in terms of like the neuro, the neurology behind it and the science behind it, that's not really their best time to be learning that. So learning these strategies and talking about what feelings look like and going over like examples of what they look like outside of having the feelings is just so, can be so helpful and shouldn't be underestimated. Um, and then I think my last, maybe my last, I probably, I could probably go on for like hours about this, but um, my last one for this time reasons, I think um, having a good there's lots of names for it. Quiet space, calming corner, calming kit, calming bin, whatever you want to call it. Just having a really good um, space that they can decompress because they more than likely will not tell you, I need downtime. I need quiet. I need rest. Kids don't say that. They just get hyper. They get um, overreactive. They get and some, and that's really you know our job as parents to help them discern that before they know what that looks like and then help them with those strategies and so there's you know there's calming strategies like breathing strategies and things to do in the moment when feeling those feelings but then there's also the strategy of how can i refuel myself and a lot of times for these kids and really for all of us if we're being real we all need a little bit of decompressing and downtime sometimes. And um, I think just having a good space in your home, even if that's like their bed with their favorite stuffy or book or, you know, there's lots of different options for that too, but having that for them.
0: Yeah. And when you were talking about, you know, talking about feelings outside of the actual you know, whatever, whether that's a meltdown or a really tricky time, I think is key. And I've talked about that on the podcast before to just, you know, with the education that I've done, they really talk about how, you know, your prefrontal cortex, like, detaches from your brain and you actually just you can't think and you can't reason in those moments and I've also noticed I mean there's definitely times I know a lot of this stuff but it doesn't mean I do it perfectly by any means and there'll be times when I I just am feeling maybe desperate or like I'm at kind of my wit's end and I will try like i might start to talk about things and immediately i recognize like this isn't going to work because it almost just adds fuel to the fire and makes the behaviors worse i think the thing that i definitely need to get better at is like actually coming back to it because i feel like even right after like once things have calmed down even still my oldest particularly because my youngest isn't quite at that point yet um if i try to bring it up he like you know, and I'm sure that's the highly sensitive piece coming out, but he just like doesn't even necessarily want to talk about it then. So I need to get better at figuring out when that time would be. And I do also think, you know, I've been planning to do an episode on calming, you know, calming space, whatever that might be, because as an OT, I definitely educated on it, but my mind has kind of shifted in the way that I think it should be implemented. And I think when you say like needing it for decompressing, because I think there's this um, separation we need to make between using strategies, but not using them in a way that it's not allowing feelings to come out. Cause I think just thinking about when I was, you know, going through self-regulation programs and stuff with kids, it was almost like as soon as the feelings come, use a strategy and kind of get them calm back down. And i there's value in using strategies but i think we also have to place value in letting our kids have feelings but then separately too having that calming space because my oldest is like <laughs> top of the charts intensity going from the second he wakes up to the second he goes like he says often like i don't want to go to bed like he doesn't want to rest it is very challenging to get him to just you know just even slow his body down. But now I'm starting to see the difference between almost like he has a lot of emotions to release versus he is just like so stressed and (laughs) like needs that decompression, which is what I was kind of trying to touch on in one of the last episodes. So I think, yeah, that's definitely a good, a good place to go. And we'll definitely have to do an episode on that. Let's kind of transition into some more tips. So like if you, you know, you said you're a highly sensitive mom and you think your husband is too, and I kind of am in that same boat, but just recently kind of came about discovering that, do you have any specific tips if you are a highly sensitive parent, whether you have a highly sensitive child or not, like how you might go about your routines a little bit differently or kind of just support yourself through parenting
1: yeah I think I think ironically I think they're pretty similar to what our kids need (laughs) they need we need to recognize when we need a break decompressing as well um I do think though like it's really good for parents to first and foremost educate yourself in terms of like fully understanding what this means, because I think when you have like a better understanding of this being a temperament, there's a release of guilt a little bit. Like you can, you can, at least for me, maybe not everyone thinks this way, but (laughs) I think that, you know, when I have science behind it, I can a little bit more understand why something's happening and removing that like emotional standpoint, which like I said, the guilt from it, I can kind of make steps for, like, you know, having my own strategies for myself. Um I think again, we can't it's always easier said than done, but I think asking for help when you need it. And I think that definitely like no one has to have a serious problem. To benefit from counseling. I think even kids, I think that, you know, I they feel like there's we're starting to break down some of these stigma walls, but I don't think that they're all the way there. I think that sometimes people still think like, oh, you have to be diagnosed with anxiety or depression to be seeing someone and I just don't think that's true. And I think that kids can benefit from from counseling, from therapy, from play therapy, especially when parents are feeling under equipped, like they're like, I have no idea how to even start this. Sometimes just, you know, having your kids in play therapy, hearing from the therapist and then being like, oh, okay, well, I think I could do that at home too. Like you just learn, you learn how to do these things or even, I mean, you know, seeking like parenting guidance, like courses or books, or, I mean, like everything is at our fingertips now and even so many free resources too. Like I know there's of course, plenty of high ticketed resources, but there's also f- so many free resources too. So anyway, I guess that kind of brings me full circle back to just educating ourselves and having a better understanding of what it means and and the strategies that we can use for ourselves, but also, you know, in our parenting too.
0: Yeah, and I think um, something that I've learned and And this might not be, even if you're not a highly sensitive parent, but um, especially if you're with your kid all day or your child is very highly sensitive and has lots of emotions, I've noticed that I have to find time or ways to be able to have my feelings heard and get my thoughts out because, you know you're going throughout your day and you're doing your best to stay, regulated yourself so that you can be co-regulating with your child and teaching them but those feelings are especially if you're a highly sensitive parent are like coming adding on to you and it can be a really heavy weight to carry sometimes and just being able to offload that you know like you said whether that's like through counseling or um, one of the strategies that I learned about in hand-in-hand parenting which is where I think I really made my breakthrough in just learning a lot about my own self and, um, just even being highly sensitive, but how my brain kind of works is, um, just called listening partnerships. And it's basically where you have somebody, whether you know them well or not, it doesn't have to be a friend. And it's probably easier if it's not. Um, but you just schedule a call, a weekly call or a couple times a week or whatever it is. And you each get a turn to talk and they don't do anything except support you and actively listen they're not trying to give you advice or do anything and it's just this idea where your brain knows where it needs to go you just need to give it space to go there And you know I can see how you know there's some similarities there with counseling obviously you have a professional who's guiding you but just being able to get that out and um you know something that I sometimes will recommend too if if for whatever reason you aren't like interested in counseling yet or you don't want to do the listening partnership because I know it can be kind of maybe a little bit scary to get started is um, depending on how you process information. So I'm a verbal processor. So I will like open my Voxer app and you could just talk to your own self So that you're able to get it out, especially if you're having a really hard time during the day and you can't like you're not going to go and tell your kids. And I'm only with my kids and my grandparents, you know, so I don't really have the opportunity to just call somebody um, so that even or journaling or something. Um, But, you know, kind of alongside that and it it might be the same, but do you have any specific tips If you are, well, first, let's just say, I just got thinking about this when you were talking about it. But if you are a highly sensitive person, but your husband maybe isn't, like, would you, you know, maybe how do you have any recommendations of how somebody might go about talking about that with or helping their husband, let's say, to kind of understand where they're coming from? Because I'm just thinking, You know, as women, we tend to be more of the nurturer and more emotional in general. Add on some of that higher sensitivity. Add on being around your kids that have a lot of emotions. You know, and sometimes I think it can be hard for your spouse to understand maybe why you feel so overwhelmed. Obviously, you can be talking about it and that sort of thing. But like, do you have any other recommendations or, you know, Things, strategies, tips that maybe might be helpful for somebody to use to help their spouse maybe understand them a little bit? I mean,
1: I think this might sound a little cliche, but
0: I, at the end of the day,
1: I do think it's open communication. I think it's really easy to let ourselves build resentment when we expect someone to know what we're thinking, know what we're going through, understand what's happening. Um so I think that we just have to be a lot more clear in not only, you know, how we're feeling like the emotional words attached to the the feelings, but also in like what's getting us to that feeling. So, for example, like if you're exhausted at the end of the day or something, um, you might describe why, you know, like his screaming is just, you know, my child was screaming a lot today. Our, our child, (laughs) our child was screaming a lot today. And, you know, that's just like the, the sensory overload of it was just so much like my brain feels. And I think just like, kind of like going into like that, almost like abstract of like, you know, like my brain almost like my heart feels heavy because I was listening to this or my brain feels tired because I was processing this all day. You know, I think, yeah, I think just really having that open communication. And, um, I mean, I just, I don't, I'm, you know, in the therapy world and a speech therapist, I can't say it enough that like, you know, I'm, I'm pro therapy because <laughs> I think sometimes people just need to hear it from an outside source. You're, you are their best friend, you know, you are their, their person for reason, but sometimes it's hard to hear things from directly from them. Sometimes it's easier to hear it from, from another person.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think just, you know, sometimes if somebody doesn't have the same experience, it can just be hard to maybe even put it into words or just to figure out how to get them to understand kind of where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple more questions. So we kind of talked about tips for if if you're the highly sensitive one or your spouse maybe isn't, but do you have anything specific for if whether you're highly sensitive or not um, raising a highly sensitive child?
1: Um, so definitely some of the things I know I kind of like overlapping some of the questions a little bit. (laughs) Some of the things I've already said, of course, with like educating yourself, um, creating the routine and structure. Um, but I think one thing that I didn't necessarily touch on too much was, um, you know, I talked about like building their vocabulary and their, their strategies, things like that. But I didn't really talk about like how, much pretend play can be really good for our young kiddos because, um, it's really a good opportunity and, you know, people can go like, look on YouTube, like YouTube play therapy or, you know, something like that to see like how you would do this or ideas, but it really opens an opportunity for, for taking them and you out of the situation and the scenario and putting it on to like characters like a doll or a bear or and putting them like letting them see a model and an example through pretend and um it really opens up doors for like letting your kids problem solve and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with um having it like like um out like talking about it outside of the situation. Um pretend play is just a really good scenario for doing that. Um the only other okay maybe two other things I would say. One is if you have like an older kiddo that's highly sensitive um and they're not always at home with you, collaborating with the people in their life. So uh, you know talking to teachers and just sharing the information that you have and um you know sometimes our highly sensitive kids aren't as forward um with new people and i think that sharing information about their temperament can be helpful um and of course like a you know kind way um and then last i think that there's you know in parenting it's exhausting it's hard of course it's worth it <laughs> but i think that sometimes it also comes with like needing to have like reframing things and i think um i think we have to do that with our kids a lot i think we have to reframe our mind for our kids because i think that we have to see like the really cool things about highly sensitive kids and why the world needs this kind of these kind of people in it Um, and when I say like, you know, see, let help them to see that, I think we need to like highlight their strengths to them and in front of them, you know, reminding them like their empathy, that they're curious, that they're smart, you know, like building them up for the person that they are in like what they bring to the table.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, I could see how that can definitely be helpful and that's something I think that I definitely need to do a better job of actually verbalizing it because and you know I think I do sometimes in my mind it it definitely goes when I'm when we're in the middle of an aggressive tantrum it is sometimes really hard for me to not go to like I wish we weren't in this challenge I wish things could just be easier or like it's so easy for them over there to just like let their child cry for a few minutes or something, but we're sitting here for 30 minutes and I'm trying not to get kicked or hit in the face, you know? But then I do think like, but like he's outside trying to create glass, you know, like it's just, it's so fun to watch the things that he comes up with. And so I do think that's really important. Um, I just wanted to quickly ask, like when you're talking about play, so I did actually do an episode on play listening, you know, like, Kind of listening through play, so that's maybe not quite as specific. You just kind of let them. You encourage, you're encouraging play and that sort of thing. And I have given an example, like when you, when your child is struggling with separation, how you can actually put that into play specifically. But you know, when you're talking about doing like the play play therapy style, are you speaking specific situations? Like you might go into a time of you know, they're having trouble with some scenario and your idea isn't to just like, let's play together and pretend and whatever comes out. But are you more like, okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to work this in, you know, so that they can be maybe not the, you know, like if it's the dentist, for example, maybe you're the patient. So they're not in that role, but they're kind of laughing and enjoying it.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. And And it could be you like personally, like they, they're the dentist and you're the patient, or it could be like dolls, Mm -hmm. um, or like their favorite characters or whatever, like, you know, actual physical (laughs) like characters. Um, and then I'll play like in the role playing, I'll play the dolls and I'll, you know, even Sometimes I mean, I do it a little differently every time, but sometimes I'll give like, um, like options, like like what feelings they could have. like, like, do you think my doll is so excited? Like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here at the dentist. or do you think my doll is angry? Like you know, I hate the dentist. This is you know, giving examples through play. Or, you know, flip side, if I'm like trying to model and teach and like an expectation or even a rule, right? There's things that are like hard stops, which might be the dentist, like you have to go to the dentist, might be kind of an example of like a hard and fast, like you have to do it. (laughs) Um, In that situation, I might just more model what I expect. So, um, or, or or what they can expect rather, like, you know, to show like, okay, we're going into the lobby. Hi, I'm checking in this. I'm here for this. And then, okay, I'm sitting down in the, in the lobby. Oh, oh, they're calling my name, you know, and then going back and then, oh, now I have to lay on this table. Ooh, this table feels kind of cold. And like talking about like the sensation, like, ooh, these lights are kind of bright. Hmm, I could close my eyes. Like, you know, giving kind of that walkthrough so you know in that scenario it might be because again like you have to go to the dentist so I'm not going to necessarily give them the option of what they could or couldn't do but maybe really what model what they could do in that scenario when they're there because it's not an if it's a (laughs) win um Mm -hmm. so yeah I think sorry that was like a really long answer to your question but I think it kind of depends on the scenario what kind of play I'm bringing in (laughs) Hopefully that wraps up. Do you
0: recommend like, is this something that people should do? Like, you know, if they if they have something that they know their child is struggling with, like that's when you would bring this in? Or are you trying to do this on a more consistent basis and maybe again, maybe it's not super specific, or you're using an older example that maybe isn't currently occurring? Or how do you kind of navigate that sort of strategy? That's a good question. Like, I think I, I just something- do it a lot, <laughs> but okay. I'm not sure if I ever thought of that as
1: like a strategy. I think I just do it a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, because um, play, I mean, you know, play doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. It's not true. like my strength is for sure sitting through tantrums and listening. Play is something like I have to, and for a while when we were like kind of transitioning into this, It would be like, I know I need to play right now, but like, how do I make this into play? And it was almost like this awkward, like, I don't know what to do. I know I'm supposed to play, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. I know there's people that are like, I don't know either.
1: Um, Okay. So
0: for people like that, they need to go watch Bluey. Go watch
1: the cartoon Bluey and just do what the parents do on Bluey. (laughs) Have you seen it?
0: (laughs) I haven't, but I've heard a lot of people watch it, but no, I haven't yet. I definitely, the, parent,
1: the parents are all like, they just pretend play all day with their little kids, which I'm definitely not saying like, you got to play all day with your kids. I think there's so much to be said about independent play and you know, that's a whole nother topic for another day, yeah. but I don't expect people to be playing all day with their kids. But yeah, to answer the original question, I, I don't know that I've put like a strategy behind it. I guess I've just, I do a lot of pretend play and if people are like, how the heck do I do that? Yeah, watch Bluey or even just like YouTube play therapy. It sounds silly, but you get a lot of ideas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just maybe trying to be a little bit more intentional with your time together and playing. Mm Because I know a lot of times if you're you're not as comfortable with play, then you might just be sitting on the outside watching your child play, not necessarily fully engaging. And I think sometimes that's even hard for me to do. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm just tired. I don't want to do it. But like once you just start doing it, it can be really fun. Um, And it doesn't have to be long either. I mean, like you can get like kids can get a lot out
1: of like five minutes of playing with you, you know, like, so I think that's another thing too, is it can feel like some days it can feel a little dreadful. Like even like, I feel that too. Like there's some days where I'm like, Oh, I really don't feel like doing this. Like, I just kind of feel like checking out. Um, but like five minutes in and they're like, Busy and then you can kind of check out. <laughs> like, and they actually got a lot out of you in that five minutes.
0: Yeah, just oh, yeah. like really focusing and being engaging and intentional doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to mean you have to play all day. Okay, two more questions, and then we'll. <laughs> end I know getting long, but like I just keep things keep coming to me. Um, yes. This is one question that didn't specifically get asked for our episode, but I know I've been asked before, especially with Easter recently. And I just thought I'd get your opinion if you have any any ideas, but one of the things that I've noticed as my oldest has gotten older is that when we come to um, holidays or gatherings with lots of people, it definitely seems more, and and maybe we were just more protective when he was younger because he took a nap and we would, you know, make sure he left and had his nap versus now we don't have that. But, you know, when we walk in the door, everybody wants to be like, oh, hi, how are you? Or like, like are expecting him to, just answer them right away and he's just not like ready for that. And um, you know, there's lots of people who are like, okay, you know, I'll kind of come back later, or whatever. But I know there's people who also are kind of like, well, what why won't he answer me? Like, okay, you know, you're ignoring me sort of a thing. You know, do you have any thoughts on how parents can kind of navigate that situation? I know it's kind of a challenging one, but something that I know people have brought up that they do struggle with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in those scenarios, like, you know, your kid best, like if your kid is kind of reeling back, shutting down, I think it's okay to, you know, talk for them a little bit in the sense that you might kind of like narrate what their body language is telling you. So like, it looks like, oh, it looks like you're not quite ready to say hi. Maybe you will be in about five minutes. And sometimes like narrating that out loud particularly is like a good enough hint, strong hint for the person coming at them, right? Like they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like they hear you say that out loud. Um, sometimes it's not though. Sometimes <laughs> they keep pressing on. And then you can be even more direct to that person, like not right now. Um, like let's try again in five minutes and if he's ready then that's fine if not that's fine too like his body he can choose um so yeah I just try not like I try to avoid like making excuses like or naming who he is as a person like oh he's shy or he's like I try to avoid that kind of stuff or even like or even like say, like even saying like, he's uncomfortable in this situation or he's, he doesn't want, he doesn't like talking right away. Cause I think that that can kind of like, I'm, like, I'm losing the words for it, but like almost like set a mantra for yeah like he they is, might internalize right?
0: those things yeah. they think like, oh yeah, I'm,
1: I'm not that or I'm whatever. that person or I am yeah. shy or yeah. And kind of like continue that framework in their mind. But I think, yeah, I think you know just saying like saying how how you see their body language you know like it looks like you're not ready um do you want to try again in 5 minutes you know things like that i think usually are a strong enough hint <laughs> and I think,
0: you know it teaches them what to say too as they get older and they recognize you saying oh you know i'm not ready maybe some at some point they'll be like you know what, I'm actually not ready to talk right now and then you won't yeah. have to and you know it's really hard but i think we have to advocate for our kids even if that means it's uncomfortable just like you know other parents do and it it might look different um but it's important and then okay last question so someone was asking like how do you know when it's time to seek professional help or testing you know, if they're struggling with maybe some of these behaviors or they're not quite sure if their child is highly sensitive or on the autism spectrum or whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, So I definitely think
1: if it's impacting daily activities, if you're not able to get through like any daily activities without a tantrum, a meltdown, um, I definitely think it's worth seeking additional assessment. And I am, again, I'm as an SLP, I'm like very pro, um, early intervention. So I am like, always like, I'm not gonna, you know, especially on the internet, I'm not gonna like help you diagnose your kid. Like it's talk to your pediatrician because every child's different. And if they are, if someone is looking to get assessed, you know, they would be assessed by a psychologist or a developmental pediatrician. Um, They definitely could ask their pediatrician if there's any OT needs, of course. And um, I think, I think that there just needs to be like, there shouldn't be fear around these evaluations and these assessments. I think like, if anything, you're doing, you know, what we call differential diagnosis, you're ruling out everything else. And you might still come back to land on like a highly sensitive child. So I think, I think, you know, when we're looking at these other disorders or diagnoses, um, you know, a highly sensitive child should be able to, at some point, adapt their response to a situation And that might be like, you're helping them by adapting something. I'm going to like give an example, like clothes, right? Like, so maybe you find clothes that do work for your highly sensitive kid versus someone out like a, a child who might need a diagnosis and might need more assistance might never like every single day is an issue with clothing and there is no finding a right clothing item. And again, this is not a hard fast like that means your child has something, right? (laughs) It's not. Talk to your (laughs) pediatrician. But um, it's just a small example of like it. It like if it's uh, impacting everyday daily living activities, it's worth getting an assessment, even if that means like they just confirm like, yeah, your kid's highly sensitive.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I would say the same. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have you an evaluation. If they recommend treatment, you can choose to or choose not to. And as an OT, I mean, we have to, you know, put a diagnosis on their chart, but we aren't medically diagnosing anything. So it's not like the diagnosis we're using just to code and, you know, bill insurance and all that stuff it's not gonna follow the child around if that's something I know sometimes parents can be concerned like oh they're gonna get diagnosed with this and then you know it means all these things and it it doesn't um you know so I think the more information you have the better right agree yeah um do you have any last thoughts or anything I know we talked about a lot (laughs) of different things
1: (laughs) I don't think so I think yeah I think we covered everything that I had in my mind.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk. I know we were going to do it really short, but it just, I think it's fun to like, you know, go back and forth and get somebody else's perspective. And, um, where can people find you if they want to, you know, go watch your fun reels or just even connect (laughs) with you? Um, where, um, would you direct people? Uh,
1: Yeah, to as the littles grow with underscores. So, as underscore the underscore littles underscore grow. Um, I had to make it difficult. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok, not super often. I just had someone today being like, you need to be posting there more. I should be. I think I'm on Pinterest. I definitely have a website i definitely have a link tree i definitely have an email <laughs> so well, all you of those can, places find you me on instagram me message me it. yeah
0: <laughs> i'll i'll put your instagram in the show notes and then if there's any other particular place like your website or anything that you want to direct people to i can add that too That's um, good. but thank you so much thank you this was fun Real quick before you go, if you felt encouraged and inspired by listening to this show, I'd love for you to leave a rating or review over at Apple Podcasts so we can spread the word to help other mamas feel less alone and find beauty in the behaviors. You can also take a screenshot of this episode, share it over on your Instagram stories, and tag me, at Kaylee Jo and we'll all do a little happy dance together. i love nothing more than to cheer you on along this journey. This work is so hard, but don't forget, God has not only called you to it, but he has equipped you for it. Now go get connected. I'll see you next week.